this is Chris Westfall, and this is the Financial Executive Podcast. Rapid advances in technology are quickly disrupting the auditing, accounting, and financial reporting industries at a pace not seen in decades. As soon as one leap forward is adopted, such as cloud technology, another waits in the wings, like blockchain. Financial Executives Research and Education Foundation is working on a report looking to help senior level financial executives better understand how to consider and prioritize changes in financial technology. As part of that effort, we speak with Dr. Ryan Teeter, Clinical Assistant Professor of Accounting Information Systems at the University of Pittsburgh, regarding his work on the area of technology changes in the financial reporting industry. So I guess the first question for us, Teeter, is, is maybe you could describe your background and the areas of focus in your research right now. So um, I have a, a bit of background in the technology and accounting side. Uh, technology has always been a bit of a hobby for me. Um, and that, that was true during undergraduate uh, as well as my, my graduate work. And uh, so much so that, that I you know, worked in various areas within technology. I took a summer internship with Google out in California, uh, dealing with uh, curriculum development and training for the then when Google Apps had just come out and was being used by businesses. Um, and then in my PhD program, I got involved in uh, continuous auditing and audit automation, which has been my, my primary focus of research and uh, worked on a couple projects with uh, Siemens and Procter and Gamble working on their IT audit and automating some of those uh, portions of their, their audits. So this uh, was a point where we were talking about this idea of kind of continuous monitoring as a way to uh, help managers control information and provide feedback on the, the accounting processes themselves. Uh, since I, I got my PhD um, in accounting information systems at Rutgers, I've since been at the University of Pittsburgh, where I have been actively involved in accounting information systems and developing a data analytics for accounting course in our master's program, and recently published a textbook with McGraw-Hill um, with my co-authors, Vern Richardson and Katie Terrell, on data analytics for accounting, which builds on kind of the basic idea of fundamentals for data analysis, and then gets into domain-specific knowledge. So how do we apply that to financial reports and auditing and managerial and tax? So, you know, like a lot of things, um, we see a lot of companies in particular that start with emerging technologies and data analysis and automation as kind of these hobby projects by, you know, an internal auditor or somebody on their audit staff. And then it grows into something that becomes more institutionalized and, and developed. And so it's been fun to watch that both in business and as you know, my, my research has been following along that as well. Maybe you, uh, for a little background, you can give a quick description. I know you touched on a little bit about what, because you hear a lot, it's sometimes a lot of buzzwords in the industry, but certainly continuous auditing is something that we've come across a few times in, in our interviews in regards to this project. Maybe you can just describe a little bit what the definition, what your, your definition of continuous auditing is. So continuous auditing um, is actually a combination of different things. It's about monitoring internal controls. It's about evaluating the, the financial information coming out of businesses and also reporting on the, the processes in, I don't want to use the, the word real time, but it, it's, it's aligning these types of analyses with the pulse of the business. So for example, 
uh, at the end of your close, we have information that's coming out as we're making our adjusting entries and as we're, we're closing the books that is particularly relevant to managers um, quite immediately after that happens. Whereas transactions, so business transactions that are taking place with customers and suppliers, you know, these are happening every day. So we want to uh, have analytics in place that are evaluating these to look for, for example, risk of, of default or bad debts or to um, identify, you know, potential uh, potential vendors who won't be able to meet their, their obligations to get us our supply. So um, if you think about in auditing, you know, the nature and extent and timing, it's kind of evolving that thought to matching these analytics or these processes to, you know, when they're occurring in the business. So instead of waiting for, you know, an annual audit or waiting for, you know, an internal audit that takes place every 18 months or so, we can have programs in place, robots in place that will evaluate these key data points um, more frequently and provide feedback so that auditors and managers can respond more quickly than waiting for that traditional periodic audit. Do you consider that continuous auditing as sort of an aspirational um, goal right now for the industry or do you see it implemented? I know you mentioned a couple uh, companies that are, are looking at it, but um, is it more aspirational or do you see it being implemented on a regular basis right now? So it's, it's you know, it's, um, it's like anything, there's, there's a, a life cycle for it. Um, a lot of companies are kind of evaluating it or they have been evaluating it over the past few years. We're now seeing where automation is really taking hold in the auditing industry in particular. So if it's not immediately at the, the companies themselves, the, the public accounting firms are going all in on taking some of these routine transactions and monitoring items and, and automating them and putting them into place with their clients um, as kind of a value added service for, for the audit. It also means that they're helping reduce their, their workflow or their work uh, force by, um, you know, because a lot of the routine tasks can be done by a computer as opposed to a staff accountant. Um, I think that, you know, if, and, and the FEI has certainly surveyed several executives on this topic over the past few years. Um, you'll see that it's still like data analytics. It's, it's people know that they should be doing it and they're interested in it, but it's, it's kind of looking at where the resources are being allocated and how best we can uh, monitor these things. A lot of things, particularly on the monitoring side, you have to understand the business process and also the value of the information. So in some cases, automation may be fairly trivial, but it doesn't make sense because we don't, it, it's a low risk environment or we may not need to put those effort, that effort there. Um, however, certainly these, these high risk uh, items, again, the, the transactions that are you know, above a certain threshold or that involve you know, potentially related parties, you know, these are things where we want to focus these energy. And we see a lot of companies that are putting a lot of effort into managing that risk so that they don't have the downside of, you know, a, a risk failure or a, an audit failure. You know, if I assume a lot of what you're discussing is, is reliant on data and certainly big data has been a big influence in around in and around financial reporting, accounting, you know, finance. And I know you're working on something called an audit data standard. Maybe where you can describe where the audit data standard fits into the idea of 
big data and managing big data in finance? Sure. So um, I just want to make a key distinction before we begin here. With, with audit data standards, the goal is to take these large enterprise systems. So you're looking at Oracle, SAP, JD Edwards, and so forth. And each of the systems is used differently by different companies. Some companies try and put everything into one system. Other companies try and use different systems and kind of patch them together to create their financial reports. And so the goal with the audit data standards is to define a set of data points or data elements within that data that kind of represent these common uh, tests of, of, of management assertions. So we want to look at, you know, the general ledger accounts. We want to look at some of the accounts payable, the accounts receivable, and, you know, some of the, the chart of account items. But we want them to be presented in a standard format so that an auditor or a manager or anyone else could go into any client system and use a robust analytics that they've already created without having to reprogram the entire thing to adapt it to each individual client systems. So if this becomes something that is adopted um, on a much larger scale, then auditors can spend more of their time, again, doing what they're really good at, which is the judgment decision-making. So analyzing the data and inferring uh, action based on the results, as opposed to you know handing it off to coders, having the coders remap all their analytics every time they go to a new client or when a new client changes a system. So on that side, the, the audit data standards are still in this domain of what we'll call little data um, or structured data. So databases that have tables and fields, which is fairly, um, fairly straightforward to, to analyze. We simply look up the, the key uh, attributes that we're trying to analyze. We can run some summary statistics on it, you know, find the mean or the, uh, the minimum max and kind of get some idea of what's going on within the system. In contrast, when we talk about big data, big data is typically dealing with uh, kind of this unstructured data. So if I'm looking at it from, from a manager's perspective, I may not be as deep into big data, but my analysts certainly are. So analysts are going to look at not only financial figures and data that would appear in a transactional database, but they're also going to look at feedback for the company or mentions on social media or they're going to look for um, conversations that are taking place either through, you know, text or email or messaging, or even to the point of analyzing video footage or, or photographs to look for specific products that are being sold and traded uh, across markets. So what I can do is I can look at the financial figures. I can look at this other, this larger set of, um, we'll call it social data, and make inferences as to, you know, whether those line up, what the, the marketplace is doing relative to what management is saying that the, the marketplace is doing. And so I can make some decisions on whether, you know, this company is a good investment or another company is a better investment. So we, we talk about big data in accounting and most people are still stuck in this small data paradigm where we're saying, okay, let's analyze the transactions. Let's do some, some descriptive analysis, maybe do some predictive and planning but, um, you know, there, there's this whole area of uh, data that is captured within the system that is untapped. And a lot of the, the buzzword right now is, is this idea of dark analytics. 
which is, you know, we have this whole bunch of data that nobody knows what to do with. And so if we can find some models or find some tools or hire a data scientist to help us kind of shine some light onto some of the insight that can come out of this, then that's where we have a lot of potential for, you know, creating some, some competitive advantage or finding some additional insight that can help us make better, better decisions. So in terms of that, um, you know, you have small data, you know, on the sort of the specific auditing side, you have big data coming in from customers, from social, you mentioned, um, what do you sort of, you have, that's a lot to manage. Where do you see the biggest challenges in managing the data when trying to, you know, for an automated or digital process that's within accounting or financial reporting, um, where, where are the bottlenecks? What are the challenges to that? So the biggest issue with any data, whether it's small data or big data, is still with this idea of data quality. You know, we have this principle where garbage in, garbage out. Um, if we don't have good controls over the inputs into our systems, then we can have the best models in the world and they can still be garbage. Uh, an example of this is we, we talk a lot about um, artificial intelligence and machine learning. So this idea that I can put enough observations into a computer program that uh, the program will be able to make a fairly accurate judgment given a, an observation that they haven't seen. So as an example, um, if I have enough observations of uh, specific client details and the decision that an audit partner makes, I can feed that into a, an artificial intelligence model and then I can come with another set of data, plug that into the model, and the program will give me a judgment that would be similar to what an audit partner would do. Now, it's not 100% accurate, but it's probably accurate enough that you could you know, narrow your, your scope and you could, you could refine it a little bit further. Um, and so in these cases, you're still dealing with the quality of the inputs going in. I was reading an article a few weeks ago that was looking at one of these uh, machine learning models. And they went to one of these um, forums online that just had a lot of really negative and um, uh, offensive and just terrible conversations that were taking place between individuals. And so they trained a model on it. And of course, the model became fairly evil because it was you know, trying to mimic the, the inputs that it had, it had gotten. And so we see that, you know, with whatever models that we end up deciding to use, the quality of the data going in is the, is the primary concern. And this is not a new issue. This is something that's been around since we've been dealing with computerized accounting. But as we add additional big data elements, so we're looking at, you know, input from uh, documents that we're using optical character recognition to, you know, scan and collect and peel the data off of those documents without having somebody type it in. Uh, by hand. We're using speech recognition to analyze transcripts from videos and conversations. We get it good enough to create a model, but again, the quality determines how good the output will be used for actual use and decision-making later. So data quality is a big one. Um, storage has previously been a big one, but now that you know companies have switched over to uh, cloud providers where they're storing a lot of their data on Amazon servers or Microsoft servers, uh, you know we have that economy of scale where 
the, the amount of data that we're storing is no longer an issue. We can upload high definition video in large clips and store it. Um, and so there's a cost associated with that, but that's no longer an issue like we had in the, the 80s and 90s. Um, and then finally, you know, it's, it's this idea that data can be very overwhelming. We talk about in, in data analytics that we've probably tapped into five or maybe 10% of the potential in data. And so, you know, data mining is this idea that we just go and kind of explore and see what we can find in the data. And then we have, you know, insight that we're trying to capture by answering very specific business questions. So really, we need to be able to capture data that is relevant to the management decisions that are being made and that, you know, potentially could be relevant to future decisions, which is always the, the crystal ball reading that we haven't quite figured out. But, um, you know, the, the, the questions really become the, the biggest issue. What questions are we asking and do we have the data to answer those questions? Yeah, you know, I certainly understand from the point of view of making sure that data is clean and relevant and informs the model correctly. But taking it from the preparer point of view, if we're taking it from a company, you know, somebody who's going to be doing a financial report, and especially in the context of, you know, when you're doing this sort of thing, putting an ROI on it. Right. Saying, okay, if I have, uh, you know, if I'm going to have to put a lot of resources into managing my data, um, cleaning it, processing it, what's the ROI for for the reporter? How would you answer that question? (laughs) So ROI is is a tricky one. Um, When we look at it. So the project that we were working on with Siemens uh, in the mid 2000s, the ROI argument was that we use automation to automate the, the IT audit, uh, the certification audit for SAP. And the savings comes from now, instead of the auditors having to go on site for a few weeks, you know, every 18 months to go check out the different systems, they can perform the audit remotely, they can analyze it kind of in, in more real time. And so we actually save a lot of money in travel and entertainment expenses, right? So it becomes kind of these, these, uh, these other expenses, these other costs that are associated with kind of the traditional model of uh, accounting. When we're trying to hire a data scientist to come in and explore the data and provide some insight and generate some, some useful inputs for our decisions, it becomes a little bit harder because we're spending money for uh, somebody who has very specialized skills, who is also in very high demand. So the salaries are going to be higher, but then we want to have some input that's going to provide something to our uh, shareholders and investors. You know, what is the value in having either more accurate data or having numbers that are more reliable than in a previous model, or even, you know, trying to look at, you know, strategic plan and looking at the future forecast. Can we come up with better forecasting so that in the future shareholders can see what they're getting and have a greater chance of actually reaching that, that goal. So, you know, the, 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 the ROI is not necessarily going to be in the project itself, but it's going to be in the market value of having better information 
than your competitor. Do you find that's a convincing argument sometimes to management or (laughs) (laughs) I'm just literally taking it from the, the, you know, you know, if you're, if, especially if you're a public reporting company, you're living quarter to quarter. And if you're, you're, you're sort of talking about making significant resources into this, do you, do you think it's a, do you think people are listening more to that argument? I, I think that it's still, you know, it still takes some convincing because again, data, data analysis costs money. Um, at the end of the day, the, the ROI argument is going to come back to how do we increase revenue and how do we cut our costs, right? How do we improve our bottom line? So if we can improve our revenue by generating a model that helps us target customers more so that they are more likely to buy our product again, or so we're able to offer some sort of additional value added service to that customer that we normally or we didn't have before because we have better insight into that, then, you know, the cost of the data analysis is, is, is worth the price. Likewise, if we can look at and analyze and say, okay, look, here's all the energy usage of our, uh, you know, company, our carbon footprint or whatever it is that we're looking at. And we say, okay, if we can implement a policy where, you know, the lights are on automatic switches instead of, you know, on all the time. And that generates a cost savings of, you know, X number of dollars in utility costs that we would normally find, you know, that, that's a very tangible value to, you know, analyzing all of the, the input from those sensors that we have put into uh, our company. And so I think, you know, it still is very highly tied to that, the idea of increasing revenue and cutting costs. Um, we have to find, again, some value in doing the analysis. There's been research that has shown that companies who disrupt markets because they find an untapped potential um, have much better, much larger returns in stock market value than, say, companies that simply automate things, for example. Um, and so a lot of companies will try... the you know, a lot of startup companies in particular will try and look for these opportunities and try and capture data that will help them manage and identify these opportunities to take advantage of these segments of the market, which ends up cutting into market share and revenue from some of their competitors. And so data analysis, again, becomes the competitive advantage if you can use it better than your competitors. Or, you know, it's kind of a defense mechanism from startup companies and other disruptors that you would see in the market. One of the things I want to ask is, uh, as you know, you were there for, you know, you spent time at Google, you worked, worked a lot within the Google framework and that certainly disrupted, um, a lot of how, uh, you know, companies work today in terms of sharing information. What technologies do you think will, will have the biggest impact for financial reporting and auditing in the next five, 10 years? Is it blockchain? You know, what do you see on the horizon that is really going to change the game for the industry? So there are basically four major segments here in what we consider emerging technologies, things that are are coming out that are now starting to be more widely adopted. Automation is the big one, right? It's, It's kind of the low hanging fruit. If we can take something and script it and have a program do it for us, then we can see immediate immediate savings and immediate uh, benefits from doing that. So we've seen that kind of start taking over some of the big four, um, as well as you know companies individually as they're trying to become more efficient. They're they're 
using the, the term as robotics process automation. So looking for ways to um, use robots, meaning computer programs, to do the work for them. Um, we also see that there, there's, a, there's an impact of, I use the term social elements. So not just social media, although that certainly provides a lot of feedback and information into the marketplace, but also this idea that we are, we are putting sensors on everything from key fobs to doors to, you know, fitness trackers and wristwatches and uh, other things that have some significant impact on uh, how we run our business. So for example, a company uh, can, through their insurance program, incentivize employees to wear fitness trackers that would help monitor some you know, key health elements. And so by the fact that they're monitoring this now, uh, it automatically has some benefits in kind of the preventive issues that are much cheaper for, for health providers than the, the corrective elements later on. So we see a lot of, a lot of you know, data that's coming from these Internet of Things devices, so uh, sensors on the doors and wristwatches and so forth. Um, we also see that there's a big... Blockchain is the, the topic du jour, and blockchain is important, but I think it's, it's, it's a bit still on the, the high end of the hype cycle right now. Um, the idea with the blockchain is that we can take the ledger and we can use cryptography to enhance the trust that we give in the, the ledger, meaning nobody can go in and they can manipulate the transactions that have been recorded as they've been recorded. Uh, there's a lot of talk that the blockchain will replace the auditor, which I think is somewhat ridiculous because the transactions themselves still have to be recorded and they can be recorded wrong or they could be fraudulent or whatever. They just can't be changed after the fact. And so we still have a large demand for, uh, internal controls over the process, the recording, the, um, evaluation of that. The only difference is we're using a cryptographic ledger instead of a database with a set of transactions. So that, that increases some of the trust. And a lot of these, particularly cryptography, are aimed at improving trust. But data security, as, as we see in the news and as we see in, in, in various articles with you know, Google and Facebook and several other companies, uh, is really hard. And a lot of companies are managing this data and not doing a very good job at protecting and securing it. And so um, I think that th there is certainly more that can be done, both in adopting things like blockchains for the general ledger, as well as um, you know, using some of these, these controls like cryptography on the data at rest. But that's kind of, that, that's something that, that has been evolving and is, is being adopted more as companies are taking security more seriously. And then finally, we have you know, data analytics, this idea of, of taking the deep dive and getting into dark analytics and tapping data to find really interesting insight that provides the competitive advantage. So they're not necessarily tools per se, but they're thought processes, right? How do we look at the business and how do we improve the business using these methods of you know, automation and social and blockchain and dark analytics and analytics in general to enhance the value of the business. So I think, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty up high on the, the Gartner hype cycle, 
but we're starting to see more and more of this being incorporated into, into the business. Final question for you. And, and this is something that we always sort of wrestle with in terms of, you know, senior level financial executives certainly have experience in the, you know, the, um, process and the traditional process. But what about from your perspective, do you feel the pipeline of, of newer financial executives, people going through your program and then on in, into the industry, um, do they have, are, are they ready, ready for that sort of learning curve for this? Do they understand the importance of the technologies? Um, what, what's your opinion on that? So to answer this question, I think it's important to look back and see where we've kind of come in the last few years. Again, a lot of this, the technology in particular, starts with these hobbyists inside the company who say, hey, there's this thing called data analytics. I think I want to explore this a little bit more. And then a manager uh, looks at that and says, okay, there's some value there. Let's throw some money and resources at that. And all of a sudden it becomes institutionalized and becomes an important part of uh, either an internal audit process or a financial executive process or whatever. And so we're still going to see that where, you know, as we adapt to technology, there are going to be the people who are the, the pioneers and the hobbyists and the, um, the champions who are going to try and tout the value of this. I think that, you know, today's students are seeing the impact of a lot of this technology as they're going out to, you know, internships and they're saying that the internships have changed from what they were even five years ago. And so I think that they understand that it's there and it's important. Um, I think that the value in training, again, the tools change very frequently. And so, you know, Tableau is popular today. It may be something else tomorrow, but the ideas of, you know, asking the right questions and looking around and, uh, selecting an appropriate tool or a model for that, and then analyzing the results and being able to interpret those in a way that actually adds value. You know, we take an action, make a decision based on that. Um, those skills are what are increasingly important mm. because you can always find a programmer or a hobbyist or somebody who's specialized in a tool to carry out or execute the vision, but you still have to have the vision. So, you know, with big data, you can look at all the states and say, hey, there's all this data, we should do something with it. But what you should really be looking at is what decisions do we need to make as a company? What is our strategic goal? You know, what is our plan going forward? And then how do we leverage the data to make sure that that plan is successful? And so those skills are much more important than necessarily knowing how to program in Python, because you can always find someone that will be able to do that for you. Do you think that the um, accounting schools and the business schools are churning out the, the type of, I guess, um, more uh, uh, not, well, adaptive thinking, but a more, uh, you know, uh, managerial view of it rather than technical view of it? Or is that something that needs to change? Or do you think it's being addressed in the schools right now? So, so I look at this, um, the traditional role of accounting has been kind of that of, of, you know, a storyteller. We're, we're looking at the information, we're compiling it, and we are telling a story about what happened in the past in the business. So we're really good at historians. Um, 
So you basically have you know three tracks within a business school. You've got the the accounting track, which is still focused on the numbers and the process and the controls. You have the management track, which is again focused on you know the decision making and kind of the the objective setting. And then you have the information systems or the IT track, which is getting into the technical details. And so I see I see all three of these tracks being very important in firms as we move forward. The management still has to make decisions. They still have to be they have to be above the rest of the company to see kind of the, the vision of where the company should be going. On the technical side, we have the IT people who have to be very technical, technically oriented. We have to have the programmers, we have to have the analysts, we have to have the people who can build the models and do really good things with that. Which leaves the accountants in the middle. And the important thing with the accountants is being kind of these expert interpreters, being able to go back and forth between, okay, we understand the process really well, and we understand the decisions that management is asking of us, but we can also speak geek, we can talk to the uh, data scientists, we can talk to the IT folks, and we can say, look, here's the business problem, here's the data that we're looking at, um, we need you to program a model for us, but here's kind of the expected outcome, this is this is the the... Uh, result that we're looking for. And so, you know, all three of these are going to play a really key role in the firm of the future because they have very distinct uh, roles going forward. And so, you know, it's, it's a combination. You, you're not going to have necessarily one person who's really good at all of this. Right. And if you do, they will likely be hired by your competitor very shortly. So you want to, you know, spread it out so that you have a balance of complementary uh, skill sets that work well to manage all of these issues, both the strategic as well as the technical and everything in between. Great. That's a great uh, way to end it on. I really appreciate you taking time and thanks very much for discussing these subjects. It's my pleasure. 